How you guys doing? Good? Just good? Are we just doing good? You guys sounded better than good when we talked about impact. Why aren't you better for me? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for asking. I'm feeling better than I was last time I spoke, which isn't saying much. That looks like a really important cup of water now. <laughs> Tell you a joke? I don't have a joke. All I have is the gospel for you. Okay, stop yelling at me. It makes me feel nervous. So this series, we've been talking about questions and reasons. This is kind of an apologetic series, right? And it's almost over. Tyler's going to close us out on this series next week. Um, and I'm a bit sad about that because I really love this series. And the tables I've been at, the discussion has been amazing. And I've been loving talking to you guys about this kind of stuff and, and talking about these questions, not answering them all because I don't have all the answers, but thinking about these things and, and talking about these things. Uh, and today we're going to be um, closing out the main part of this series by talking about the cross and the resurrection uh, like Tyler said, um, I'm feeling really good today. I'm I could just, I can do whatever I want. I can move around and I can do whatever I want. I can put a chair here and I can sit here and I can preach to just you this entire time. I could, would you be okay with that? Everybody else might be a bit upset about that though. Anyway, let's talk about the cross. <laughs> I won't do that to you. Um, so whenever we talk about the crucifixion, whenever we talk about Christ's death, one of the things that, that people, especially outside the Christian faith, may wonder, and sometimes we wonder ourselves, and I've struggled with this question myself, I have to move the chair back because it gets in my way, is why did Christ have to die at all? Why was the death of Christ necessary for our salvation? Why couldn't God just snap his magic divine fingers and Thanos all of our sins away? Well, we need to talk about, we need to talk about what our sin is and how God needed to deal with that. So let's think about that. Let's have an economic example. So if I lend my car to, I don't want to pick on anyone in particular, Chris, and he's backing out of the driveway in my car, and he plows into someone else's mailbox, and then he plows into their fence. He's a terrible driver, you guys. There's, there's damage that has been done, and payment needs to be made for that. I can't just make that payment go away. Instead, all I can do is decide... Who pays that payment? I can pay it myself and let Chris off the hook. But if you've seen my bank account, you know I don't want to do that. So I can make Chris pay it all. But Chris might not have the money either. So we can also agree to split the price. We can, we can both pay part of it or half of it. But none of these options, these are the only options that there are, and none of these options make the debt simply go away. So this sounds pretty simple, but it becomes a lot more complicated whenever we make it personal. And whenever we think about this happening in our lives, whenever people treat us poorly, whenever people gossip about us and hurt our reputation, people can say things or do things that hurt our occupation. People can physically hurt us. And these kinds of things, this, this debt that stacks up from that, of these, of these sins, becomes a lot more difficult whenever it's personal and it's towards us. And every sin that we've ever committed towards anyone has also gone against God. So think about how difficult the problem is whenever someone has wronged you deeply and multiply it by billions and billions, an endless number. And that's how much torment we cause God with our sin. And I don't want to make you feel too bad about that because the fact is we're redeemed. It violates our sense of justice to be wronged like this. And we desire for justice to be done. 
And so vengeance seems like a fair way to make that person pay the price. We get them back. But that doesn't solve the problem of the sin. It spreads the sin. Because vengeance and, and this, this lust for revenge that we may have brings with it anger and hatred for us. And so we've, we've spread the sin. We haven't diminished it. We haven't eliminated it. We've spread it. We can't eliminate the sin. The best thing we can do is forgive. But forgiveness also doesn't take away the sin. It doesn't take away the evil. Forgiveness is taking that that guilt and taking that hurt and putting it on ourselves, paying for that ourselves. That's what we do when we forgive people. Because on a small scale, we see what they've done wrong and the hurt that it's caused, and we, we persecute ourselves for that, for the sake of forgiving that other person. Forgiveness is not the obliteration of the wrongdoing and the payment. It's the person who has been wronged bearing the payment themselves. And Tim Keller puts it this way. Forgiveness means bearing the cost instead of making the wrongdoer do it. So you can reach out in love to seek your enemy's renewal and change. So you forgive in the hopes that it doesn't happen again and that your forgiveness shows your love to people that have wronged you. So for perfect and complete forgiveness, which is what we need to be redeemed from our sins, God had to make a perfect and complete sacrifice which he did by sending the word to die on the cross. The debt was unpayable by us. There was nothing we could do from the moment we were born, from, from before we were born. There was nothing we could do about the sin that we would be born into. It had to have been paid by God, and God paid it for us, and he did that through Christ. And in Matthew 26, 38 to 39, Christ is in the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplating the coming crucifixion. And this is one of the most powerful parts of Scripture to me. If you've seen the movie The Passion of the Christ, it's a, it's a really cool movie, about the only movie that makes me cry every single time. And it starts out with this scene of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's talking to his disciples, and he said, and he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Christ didn't want, selfishly, to go through the torment that he knew he was going to go through. He understood what he was going to do, and he didn't like it. He prayed in anguish. He suffered in agony and died in humiliation for me and for us. He suffered the weight of our debt and paid it perfectly, not because he had to, but because he loves us so perfectly that he was willing to. That's why this isn't bad news. This shouldn't make you feel guilty. Because although Christ suffered and died, he did it willingly because he loves us so greatly. Although we had wronged him, he was willing to take the pain of that on himself for the sake of reaching out to us in love. In Matthew 27, 46, Christ is on the cross being crucified for my sins and yours. And it says, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And this, to me, is the most powerful phrase 
in Scripture. It's, it's, it's pronounced in Hebrew. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I cannot imagine the weight of those words. Eternal, perfect fellowship with the Father, severed because of my debt that needed to be paid. This is a downer, isn't it? This is a huge downer, but the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end with those words. Christ dies, but he doesn't stay dead. And this is what separates, and we've talked about this a lot, the ways that Christianity is different from all the other world's religions, and this is the main way. Look at any other world religion, any other cult that has been started, or, or respectable religion that has been started. All of their leaders are dead. They are all dead in the ground somewhere, but Christ isn't. And we believe that, and we believe that for good reason. And one of those reasons is because we need to believe it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 18, we've talked about these verses several times. Paul writes, If Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, and those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Without the resurrection, we don't have salvation. Without Christ's resurrection, we don't have resurrection. We don't have fellowship with the Father without Christ's resurrection. So we need to believe it. But we don't just believe it blindly. There's no reason to believe it blindly. We can have good reasons to believe this. Tyler did a great job of talking about this a couple weeks ago. Talking about the accounts of people that, that backed up this story. A lot of secular scholars, pretty much every secular scholar agrees that Christ died. That Jesus died on a cross. We have very good records of that. But the burden of proof isn't entirely on Christians to prove that Christ raised from the dead. Because as difficult as that may be to explain, the things that follow are incredibly difficult to explain without believing in the resurrection. And the Bible itself is not an unreliable source of information about this. Just 20 years after Christ's resurrection would have occurred, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 others at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Do you see all the names in this? Cephas, James, Paul lists way more names than this. 500 brothers. These are witnesses that Paul is saying, you can go and ask them. At the time Paul is writing this to the church, he's saying, if you don't believe me, go and ask 500 other people. They're almost all still around. You can ask them. They saw him. This was written 20 years. That's how long I've been alive. I haven't been alive for that long. That's not very long after Christ's resurrection would have happened. There are also Roman writings, secular writings, philosopher writings, all discussing what seems to be a resurrection of Christ. Whether they want to believe it or not, and whether they're trying to disprove it or not, they find it difficult to disprove. Because the effects on the church after Christ's death would be almost impossible to explain without a resurrection. Disbelievers totally changed their lives and started following Christ. 
Christ's own brother, James, didn't believe in him. But after the supposed resurrection, suddenly he did. Paul hunted and killed Jews for a living. And this guy changed entirely because he said he saw Christ resurrected. Believers died for their faith. Almost all of the disciples, almost all of the twelve died for their faith. Stephen died for his faith. And throughout the next hundreds of years, people continue to die for their faith. And today, we just prayed for some of these people. People are still persecuted for their faith. If Christ didn't resurrect from the dead, this would be a lot of nothing for people to die for. A lot of nothing for people to sacrifice their reputation and their lives for. Paul didn't just sacrifice his life through martyrdom. Paul went through trials and tribulation, starvation, imprisonment. Tim Keller says this. We're going back to Tim Keller. Every effort to account for the birth of the church apart from Jesus' resurrection flies in the face of what we know about first century history and culture. Historically speaking, we can depend on the accounts of Christ's resurrection more than we can depend on on accounts of other things that happened at the time. Christ's resurrection is one of the most supported claims of this time. There are thousands of people, tens of thousands of people at the time running around proclaiming that this is true and dying for it. And some people, I talked about this several weeks ago, some people say that it's not possible because it's a miracle and miracles aren't possible. You guys remember what I said about this? In case you don't, here's a quick recap. Miracles aren't within the realm of science. A miracle is something that happens that science can't explain by definition. So in order to say that a miracle is impossible, you have to prove that it's some sort of a contradiction of itself. And science can't do that. Only philosophy can do that. So this is a philosophical claim. And philosophical claims are difficult to prove one way or the other. To say that a miracle is impossible is unfair to the term of miracle. Whether you believe it happened or not, just because we haven't observed it ourselves is not good enough reason to believe that it can't happen. I want to come back to 1 Corinthians 15, 17. We've talked about this verse several times, and I've talked about it twice now. Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have perished have fallen, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Most of you have probably grown up hearing the story of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection over and over and over and over. It's second nature to believe this. It's reflexive to, to believe this. But I want you guys to think about it this morning. I know it's morning. Maybe it's a bit early to start thinking about stuff. But I want you to think about this. The Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus, and Peter attacked one of them, attacked one of the servants of the guards, cutting off his ear, and Christ rebuked him for that, for defending him. He didn't do that because he didn't like Peter getting all aggressive. He did that because he loved us. And he knew what he needed to do. He was willing to suffer and bleed and die for me. He was willing to experience complete wrath from the Father for my sins and yours 
so that I could know the Father, so that I could have a relationship with the Father. And if I had been there whenever Christ was crucified on the cross, if I had been standing in front of him as he was handing on, hanging on the cross, I would have been mocking him with everyone else because of how severed from God in my sin I was. I have mocked him in my life. But God pointed at that same cross that the world was laughing at and said that is a perfect symbol of love. He pointed at a perfect symbol of love, a type of love that we could never experience apart from him, but now we can because of that cross. And we looked at it and we mocked it as humanity lost in our sins. We looked at it and we mocked it this symbol of perfect love. And I want you guys to think about this. The cross and the resurrection gives us hope in a broken world that there is something more than ourselves, that there is a kingdom that we are a part of, that we can be a part of. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to this verse. It's in Romans 6. You can turn on your Bibles. That might be a little quicker than flipping through all these papers. Romans 6, we're going to start in verse 5. We're going to go to about verse 14. I, in hindsight, probably shouldn't have put this all on one slide. It looked fine on my computer screen. Can you guys read that? Okay. I heard like one enthusiastic, nope. That's why I told you to turn to it in your Bibles, by the way. Um, So in Romans 6, starting in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died and been set free from sin, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him again. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Deep breath. There's a lot there. Christ died and we and our sins die with Christ. Christ is resurrected. We can be resurrected with Christ. Guys, this is the greatest news ever. And you've grown up hearing this, and I worry that 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 you and I, myself, are 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 desensitized to this, the miracle of this, the wonderfulness of this amazing news of this salvation that we can have, but not just when we die and we go to heaven, but right now. For a large part of my life, I was searching for a perfect, selfless kind of love, and I didn't find it. I didn't find it anywhere because I was looking for it by myself. And I came to the end of myself. I couldn't do it by myself. And I believed in God, but I didn't feel this love. And so I beg God, show me this love. I need love. 
I need fellowship with someone. And God reached down to me and gave me this love. That doesn't mean that life is always easy. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. We may still struggle with sin, but we are not under the dominion of sin any longer. We may still sin, but we have hope that we can overcome that sin and that we can still be in a presence with God despite that sin because Christ is standing in front of us in our judgment. And God doesn't see our sin and our humanity. God sees Christ in us. And this should affect the way that we live our lives right now. We don't just believe that Christ died. We don't just admit, believe, and confess so that whenever we die, we go to heaven instead of hell. We believe it right now, and we let it affect our lives right now. And we seek to, to iron out our salvation and iron out our faith by coming here and talking to people and discussing God and trying to answer these questions. We use our minds, we use our hearts, we use our bodies for God instead of for sin. It brings us hope. It brings us away from our sin right now. And another thing. A couple years ago, I was in college. And my dad's dad died whenever he was a kid. About 12 years old, I think. And so... His mom was his parents, and she worked hard. She's a godly woman. She worked hard to sustain him and his siblings, to keep their family together and to keep them all close to God. And I have huge admiration for this woman. And she was about 78, I think. I feel bad for not remembering. And for a while, she had kind of been going downhill. You could kind of see that she was on her last leg. And I remember talking to my mom on the phone, and, and my brother had gone to visit her, and she had trouble remembering who my brother was. And I'm younger than my brother. So I figured that was, that was about it for her memory of me. And I mourned a bit. It hurt a bit. Because I grew up overseas, we didn't, I didn't really get to know her as much as I wanted to. Most of what I knew about her came from my dad. And I knew that my dad loved her to death. And I was at work a couple years ago, and I got a text from my sister that she had died. We knew that this was coming. We knew that this was about to happen. I got a text from her that she had died, and I was at work. And so I thought, I'll think about it later. I put my phone back in my pocket, and I continued working. I continued working, and then that night I was sitting on a couch watching Thursday night football. And I still had not allocated time to think about it. It was football time. And dad, my dad was the person that instilled in me this love for football. And so most of the time I think I watch football, I think about him even whenever he's not there, which he wasn't. So I was thinking about my dad. And it dawned on me that he was hurting. 
because his mom had died. It didn't hurt me that she had died as much because I had already had time to mourn over that. My dad is the strongest person I've ever met, y'all. As difficult as it was for me whenever I was a little kid to go overseas into foreign countries, some of which hated us and some of which didn't, and grow up in cultures that I didn't understand with languages I couldn't speak and kids that, that just knew that I wasn't like them, I can't imagine the strength that it took for him to take his family of five and lead us there. He sold what he had. He gave up a good job. He gave up stability and safety of his own family. And he took us overseas, and I don't know how often I thought about that, but how much strength that had to take. So the thought now that he was hurting, and that he was hurting so much, broke me down. And I went out of the room because there were a bunch of other people there and I don't cry in front of people, clearly. And I went to my room and I just cried because I felt this pain that my dad was feeling. It affected me. In my family, like all good families, we have a group text. And not long after this happened, I don't remember exactly how long, I want to say no more than a couple weeks after this happened, my dad was still having difficulty with this. And some people were having a conversation in the group text. I also don't remember about what, but I remember my dad saying this. He said, happenings that happen to us can bring us happiness, but the better foundation in life is joy. Joy comes from knowing that whatever happenings happen to us potentially bringing with them happiness for us, more often not, our real joy comes from our relationship with Christ. We don't just have hope. We don't just have freedom from sin. We don't just have salvation when we die. We have joy. It doesn't mean we're happy all the time. Sometimes life is rough. Sometimes life stinks. High school is rough, and I mean that. And college is rough, too. Don't mean to hype you up too much. Adulting is difficult as well. Taxes? I don't like that. It's all rough. And I can't imagine what kind of struggles some of you guys go through, maybe on a daily basis. I can't imagine the kind of struggles and the kind of and the kind of hurt that you've experienced in the past or that you may experience in the future. Maybe you've had a pretty comfortable life, but that doesn't mean that you're always happy. Sometimes it's, it's the people with, with the most blessed and comfortable lives that feel the biggest sense of emptiness because they don't feel like they've had to suffer for anything. But doing it alone is agony. Doing it without this joy that I'm talking about that my dad taught me about is agony. So I've preached at you for a while. Let me ask you the question again. Do you believe in the cross and the resurrection? I don't want to
want you to answer me. I want you to think. God demands that we use our bodies for righteousness, that we love him with our whole hearts, but also that we love him with our minds. Think about this. I don't want to know if you believe it because you've been taught it growing up. I don't care if you believe it because it's what your parents believed. And I don't want you to just say, yeah, that probably happened, statistically, probably. I want you to believe it, and I want it to hit you in your heart and in your mind. I want you to believe it. And I'm not going to have Chris come up here and pick up the guitar and have an altar call and come up here and pray with me. I'm not going to do that. Because I want you to think. Because this is the greatest news ever. And the idea that you may have been brought up with it, but it doesn't hit you to your core, scares me. Because I love you guys. And I want you guys to understand this. And I want you guys to think about this and to talk about this. And I, and I never want it to lose that punch of the amazing grace of God that we've all been given questions we've talked about in this series are really good questions. I guess I shouldn't hold the microphone there. It broke up a little. The, the questions we talked about in this, in this series are really good questions, but none of them matter at all if you don't know what you think about this question. We've come back to this time and time again. If, if you are struggling to get to a strong faith because you don't know how to interpret the creation narratives in Genesis or because you don't like the way that churches do some things, or because you don't know about the historicity of certain parts of the Bible, let, let, let me tell you something. None of that matters. That's all food for thought compared to how much this matters. These are important questions to talk about. All of these past weeks, I'm not trying to short-sell anybody else that has talked, including myself, but these questions are inconsequential if we can't believe in this, that Christ really died really suffered. He really felt pain for us. And a pain that we could never experience. Not because we don't whip people anymore, but because he experienced separation from the Father after an eternity of having it. If we don't understand that, and we don't believe that, and we don't let that impact our lives, then these other questions are a waste of our time. If you struggle with this question, if you're thinking about it and you don't know how to think about it, if you're worried about it, talk to one of these leaders. Not so that we can tell you that you're wrong, but so that we can love on you. The reason I'm a Christian is not because it all makes sense to me. The reason I'm a Christian is because I can't do it by myself. I needed someone to save my life in a very real way, and God did it. Some questions at your tables that I wrote. If you don't want to talk about those questions, that's fine. If you just want to talk about this one, that's great. Otherwise, think about it. Just think about it. More than perhaps we usually do, and I'm included in that we. Let me pray for you guys, and then we can get into some discussion. God, I love you so much. 
God, I need you in my life. I need you while I'm up here. I need you while I'm talking to these people. I need you when I'm by myself. God, I am a really, really inconsistent disciple. I struggle constantly. I'm struggling right now. God, wash your spirit over me and wash your spirit over these people. Bring us together as a community, as a church to you. Invigorate the minds of me and everyone around me right now to think about you maybe in a way that we haven't thought about you before. Guide our discussion. Guide our lives, God. You can have it all. It's Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.